confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. officials have never been the most popular figures in football. But never before has there been such scrutiny on them and abuse towards them. Premier League has confirmed the officiating appointments for the next round of matches and Mike Dean has been left off the list after he and his family received online abuse, including death threats. The introduction of VAR was meant to reduce the time spent talking about refereeing decisions, but it has only amplified the noise to the point where it's pretty much the focal point of every match analysis. VAR is a tool to help the referees make fewer mistakes. If anything, it's just highlighted their, them not being very good. And so, with the pressure cranked up and the attention on the men with the whistle greater than ever, there is an increase of hatred towards them. My family have had death threats and, um, and threats towards my young daughter and my wife. Um, it was what they wanted to do to my daughter. Um, it, was just, it was just horrific. Football is an emotionally driven game, yet it's still hard to fathom mistakes being viewed as a crime that leads to death threats. Mike Dean was a recent victim, but far from alone. It's widespread and it's unacceptable. The standard of refereeing in the country can be improved. There can be greater communication and accountability. The implementation of VAR needs to be more consistent and in keeping with the clear and obvious high bar intervention. I think the refs have a difficult enough uh, job without uh, extra pressure. So uh, we just should just leave him to it, make as many uh, good decisions as they uh, can. But we can also be better at understanding what a difficult job refs do. The taxing journey it takes them to get to the top. The politics they encounter. And ultimately, that they're human. We need to be more conscious of how the abuse affects them and their families. I've seen it a lot, associations talking about, you know, these sort of social media platforms doing more. They're not doing enough to stop this. I don't think, I think it's just, there's no accountability and people can basically say what they want and it's against the law. On this episode of Between the Lines, we take an all-encompassing view on officials by speaking to a grassroots referee, Joe Albra, former Premier League refs Mark Halsey and Peter Walton, as well as Martin Cassidy from Ref Support UK. Right, 
I suppose the place to start is to ask whether we're turning football into less about the game itself and more about the decisions from officials. Hi, I am Martin Cassidy. I'm the Chief Executive of Ref Support UK, which is a registered uh, charity for, for referees. We deal with all levels of football, we, um, but we like to concentrate on grassroots football because we have um, we see things and incidents happen at the Premier, Premier League and professional level that filter down and have a direct effect on grassroots football. Martin, I wanted to say that referees have been in the spotlight recently, but to be honest, when have they ever not been in the spotlight? It looks like that's ratcheted up quite considerably, though. We speak less about the game now and more about decisions than we ever did. Yeah, there's yeah, there's been lots going on. I think I don't think VAR has helped really because it's just another stick to beat a referee up on a match official up with. It's you know it goes down to the fine margins if we're talking about armpits and toes, um, which just seems to have the opposite effect of what we wanted to achieve. Everyone was crying out for us to get the decisions right on our colleagues at the top level of the game, and but you know it just seems to be used as a way to desensitise referee abuse. You know, match of the day, the other day, they spent four minutes, 38 seconds talking about a referee blowing his whistle twice and four seconds on a a team missing a penalty twice. And I just feel as if this this sort of attitude of um, referees at all fair game just needs to be recognised by all of us, really, because it's almost like a starting gun. You might be as as placid as you can be with a tweet or a comment. Uh, but 14 tweets later, you know, you're getting death threats. And I just think we all need to, t- you know, journalists, you know, pundits, uh, we all need to take some responsibility really about the environment we create. That just needs to be a bit more, a bit more positive really, because just like a Ronaldo goal celebration or a Peter Crouch robot dance, things get mimicked mimicked at the grassroots level so if they're going to copy a robot dance for instance by Peter Klaus why wouldn't they, they you know mimic the behaviour they see and the comments they see in the same channels it's just you know it's, it's a clear problem that needs addressing You've actually recently sat down with government officials to discuss all of this Well first of all when Nigel Huddleston you know agreed to meet us it was a wonderful progressive move really because I think governments uh, are recognising that there's a problem here. But a framework of what we talked about is the effect that comments on TV punditry have. A small example of it, even though he's not a pundit, is, is what happened at Troy Townsend from Kick It Out, who's been an absolute shining beacon and trying to get you know the, the, the subject of racism addressed in, in our game. He tweeted uh, criticism of a referee during a game. So I, I took him on, on a Twitter account. I know, I've known Troy for a while. And I said, come on, Troy, you know, how can you sort of address racism? And, and rightly so. But now you're, you're going to start abuse against referees. And he, we had a few tweets back and forth. And it was really, really considered and really, really professional. And he started off saying, well, you know, everyone knows me. I, I, I wouldn't do that. I said, but Troy, you need to take accountability of what you've just started. It then ended with Troy saying, oh, my God, I didn't realise that. And then we got a, on our blog, we've got a very popular blog called Referees the Final Whistle. And Troy came on and he said to me, look, you schooled me on Twitter. But if everyone used Twitter like that to address these issues very professionally 
very respectfully and quite considered in our replies, the games will be better. So, of course, paradoxically, you look at it the other way. But if people don't own that starting gun from a comment that's, you know, this is ridiculous or, you know, it will, you know they need to get things right, they need to be accountable, which is what we hear all the time. It's just, we, we all need to get hold of it. And one of the points the, the minister, you know, agreed on us that things need to change. And in his discussions with the FA and the hierarchy, you know, he is saying he wants us involved in that more because we are a charity. Honestly, I don't, I don't like, but I must say it because I will not feel right. Um, the referee doesn't have quality to, to whistle a game on a Premier League. This is a problem that we knew. The players get nervous, too much voices, he, play, he whistles. He doesn't have quality to, to whistle the game. Peter Walton, who was asked to analyse the decisions made by officials on BT Sport and sits on the board of the professional referee organisation, agrees that there has never been more focus on refs. I think there's um, more analysis and the referees are under the, the microscope more than they ever have been for their decision-making. One of the main issues is due to the introduction of VAR, the Video Assistant Referee, where uh, the referees are now being held accountable, quite rightly, I think, uh, for mistakes or missed missed situations in games that's been highlighted by the video review and it's the increased you know analysis that's really highlighting some of their mistakes um so the referees themselves whilst they still continue doing their their role and their job and they make mistakes they are human those mistakes are being uh, shown to the whole world now via the video assistant referee which is increasing the um, perception that referees are, are getting things wrong and are under pressure. Whereas I think that um, it's always been this case. It's just that, that it's never been highlighted. Okay, so this greater spotlighting of the decisions and stuff, the fact that it's being analysed so much, there is increased abuse towards referees. Do you feel that the coverage is sort of aiding that because we're not speaking about the football itself as much anymore you know the tactical tweaks substitutions things that are happening in the game most of the coverage is centering around the the decisions from the officials whether that be the actual match referee or the VAR yeah I think um it's unfortunate that um, everybody has a view on refereeing decisions. I mean, every person who watches the game of football are all qualified referees, aren't they? Well, of course they're not, but they have a little knowledge and that little knowledge is dangerous at times. And um, everybody has a, um, a view. Not everybody has views on tactics. Not everybody has views on various um, teams' shapes and things. They just want to see their team win. But when it comes to refereeing, everybody seems to have a view on specific um, decision-making. Whether or not that's good for the game or, or not, you know, is, is another debate. I would suggest that um, you know, uh, the, 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 the referees at the moment are an easy target in terms of people venting their, their anger or their spleen at various decisions and not looking at why the decision was needed in the first place, not looking at teams' tactics and not looking at individual players' mistakes, but just highlighting refereeing mistakes. Um, that's not good for the game. 
but unfortunately that's the environment we find ourselves in and supporters have sort of grabbed on that uh, respect and now it's um it seems that we analyze the referee's performance before we analyze the team's performance i'm not i'm not one to uh, to follow social media for obvious reasons um very rarely would a a, a, a fan put on social media he thought the referee was brilliant you know i learned that very early in my career and the only reason that um Pete Walton appeared in the press was because either I'd done something wrong or there's something controversial during the game. They never said, oh, and the referee was brilliant. So from a vanity point of view, I stopped reading newspapers and I stopped going on social media many, many years ago. And I think the majority of referees are the same ilk there. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody can voice their opinion. And I have no issues with that at all. And that's down to them. But the majority of these opinions are just wrong in law and our voice purely from a fan's point of view and their biased opinion. Mm. And that really just fuels a debate that really has no substance to it. And if you pair away those, um, those views that are of a biased nature, you're actually left with just a few areas where referees have made an honest mistake and they'll hold their hands up to that honest mistake. The rest of it is subjective and the rest of it is down to a fan seeing the game through you know one eye i support northampton down by the way and when i go to watch northampton town play football you know the referee always has a poor game if we don't win well you know does that really make the referee a bad referee or does that make me a fanatical supporter i have warned the football authorities about this i have warned the government that this is coming one day we'll be having a conversation when a match official has lost their life but i think if the deterrence were made significantly stronger then people would stop and think. And it's that stop and pause before you act process. We know there has been a spike in abuse towards referees at all levels. But what does this look and feel like? What impact does it have? Former top referee Mark Halsey's experience is harrowing. Obviously, um you know, my family have had death threats and um, and threats towards my young daughter and my wife. So it's um, it's something. It's been it's horrific, and it's something I wouldn't say over over this. Um, you can you can imagine what 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 went on. Um, it was what they wanted to do to my daughter. Um, was just was just horrific. So um, yes, it, it it happens. It's happened to me. Um, you know, obviously wanting to burn the house down um, with my with, with my family in it. Wanted my wife to get die from her leukemia. Wanted my daughter to die from um, cancer. My cancer come back and die. I mean that they, that 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 that's quite mild. And um, obviously, other things is 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 too horrific to to explain on on here. So, um, but listen, as 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 a, as a referee, um, you know that's that's what we 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 you know we you know you're going to get perhaps something like that you don't mind it to yourself um you know i was always mentally strong mentally tough and, and can handle that but i think once your family gets involved in then that crosses the line for me and um and i think you know the the the, the social media platforms are not doing enough to identify these people because i know with, with my case the police went to twitter and um they fouled and refused to um give um give the police the details that they needed because they had all the screenshots. Um, as I say, it was, it was absolutely horrific. 
But uh, obviously the police couldn't take any action because um, the, the social media platform wouldn't give them information. So, you know, that was, so I think now that they, they should be, a law should be coming where the social media platforms are made to give details of, of accounts. So, the police can take action and, and put these idiot or these morons in, into jail where they belong. There's a failing on, on so many levels. And actually, on Between the Lines, we did a special episode on social media abuse, speaking to people that have pursued cases, speaking to people who have intimate knowledge of the tech giants and why they haven't been implementing any significant changes or, you know, making user information available to the police, like you say. But there's also a failing on on the media's part and how we talk about things, because if we're making every decision the worst thing ever and, you know, stoking this controversy and speaking more about refereeing decisions than we are about the actual game the tactics substitutions other things that influenced the outcome and then the other part of it is why should any of us have to have thick enough skin to deal with that kind of abuse you know you said you've been mentally strong I get abuse on a daily basis as well and I've also done the whole I'm strong. I don't let it affect me. But we're all human. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it it, it, def- it definitely hurt me when when my, my my wife and daughter became involved. That was that was a, that was that was when it crossed the line for me. And uh, you're right. It was, we just seem to be not talking about you know the wonderful football and the wonderful players that that we're watching anymore, are we? You know, we seem to be straight away talking about VAR referee errors and 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 racist comments from from people. I mean, what on earth is going on? You know, just it's just it's, we need. I mean, we need we need to to rid this. It's a, it's a disease, and we need to rid it. And as I say, we will not rid it until you know the, the social media platforms. Give give police details of of accounts, and then they can be brought to book. And we need the strongest of sentences handed down to these to these keyboard warriors. Mark, I want to know from you: when you and your family were receiving this abuse, did you feel you had sufficient support in terms of you know a psychologist, in terms of making sure you were okay, or was there a sense of you not actually wanted to speak out about it because you didn't want to appear weak? No, I think one, 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 once when I was a referee towards the end of my career, um, after a big uh, Liverpool Man United game, uh, mostly as a as a referee and and you know, being under the employment of PGML, you weren't allowed to come out and say anything. You weren't allowed to talk. And to be fair, you know, that I mean, I was refereeing. That was on a Sunday. On 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 the on the Tuesday, I was down at Southampton refereeing. Uh, a league cup tower versus Sheffield Wednesday, and to be fair, the, the PGML was were, were very good. You know, they gave me that support. They 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 said to me, you know, do you what? Do I want to come off the game? And I thought, no, I'm not giving in to, to these these idiots. I'm I'm going to carry on. Um, and yeah, I got I got the support, but obviously the the, the second wave came just just after I retired. Um, and that was that was that was the worst that was the worst attack really. And obviously you're on your own then, and um, that's when the, you know Greater Manchester Police were involved, and they were they were they were superb. They were they were very good at, at, at supporting my family. What I want to understand from you is how do you 
you just carry on. It's quite. I don't think people understand. Well, it is because it's tough because you're not sure. You're not sure whether they're going to carry it out. You know. You, you know. You know. I was sort of saying, listen, we know where you live. We know where. You know. We know what 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 school your daughter goes to and all those sort of things. You know. So it, it, it is. Um, you know, it is, it is, it is frightening. And, um, you know, we you know, it's not got that bad that, you know, the police were driving past our house, you know, to make sure everything's okay. So, it, you know, you, you do, you do wonder. And then, you, you know, obviously as, as time goes on, it gets a bit easier and you think, you know, they're, they're just, they're just keyboard warriors, you know, that's all, that's all they are. And they most probably get a, thr- a thrill out of doing these things, but that doesn't make it right. And they're still, they're still threatening you and they're still threatening your family. So, um, yeah, you've got, you've got, you know, be mentally tough, mentally strong. I sort of hid it from, you know, from from my wife and, and my daughter. And then eventually I had to, you know, show my wife and, and get the police involved. And it, 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 it reduced her to tears. You know, it was unbelievable, to be fair. You know, she, um, very, very, because she was battling leukaemia. Um, and it sort of, you know, it, it, it made her, made her ill, really. You know, it made her, made her really ill. Um, and obviously worrying about what's going to happen, going to bed at night, is, is, some, is someone going to put something through the letterbox? Or, and it, it's to say, it, it, it reduced her to tears. And um, she was, you know, she was just worried. It makes you look over your shoulder every time you leave the, you know, you leave the front door. So, but luckily for us, it was, um, it, 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 nothing, um, nothing happened. So we were, we were quite, um, you know, we were quite relieved. So like you say, I still get, I still get abuse now on, 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 on Twitter and you just got to, you know, you just answer them, you know, as I just say, okay, I respect your opinion and um, please stay safe. And then they, I think that sort of shocks them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Ref support have dealt with several instances of abuse that have turned physical, as Martin Cassidy details. We, we were the first uh, referee organisation to offer uh, 24-7 uh, helpline and it, it's three, 365 days of the year we have a sponsor for it so it's you know it's 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 a channel that's used quite a lot and when we first launched it we had 70 people phone us we had a, a video sent to us by a referee who was punched three times by a player this went viral all over the world and he got found guilty didn't get arrested by the police the police didn't deem it to be an assault which we think was ridiculous we talked to the mayor of London over that well he he got suspended for 10 years, which we thought was terrible. It should have been a lifetime ban. Then he appealed and the FA reduced that ban to five years. So again, the other side of it was the story we have with this is a, a father coming home, his children have seen him leave for a game of football, all buoyant, looking forward to a, you know, a sunny day of football. And he comes back with a split eye, you know, damaged jaw, and is in, in hospital overnight. It, it's just this recognition that, you know, when people talk about other crimes, for instance, like, you know, drugs, you say, oh, they start in cannabis and they elevate it to, you know, a, a stronger drug. That's what this abuses are like. When people get used to one level of abuse and they get away with it, it escalates and escalates and escalates. And then you've got a car crash at the end of it, that's someone getting beat up in a car park or children are getting mentally tortured by adults during games. So all those cases I've just mentioned are normal for us. It's a normality that, that can't go on anymore. And, and I hope for the day that we close down our abuse and assault hotline, that we don't need it anymore. But that is not on the horizon. In fact, it's needed more because 
We've just started a mental health initiative where we're trained in mental health first aiders. We launched that actually this morning. We're, 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 this is nationwide. We're looking for more avenues to be able to um, report to us what's happening out on the field of play, particularly grassroots, because people are scared to report it. A, because they're going to bump into the person who abused them or assaulted them. It's not like Mark Clattenberg does Chelsea Tottenham. That's London. He lives in Newcastle. Most of the referees, 99% of referees, will probably bump into the person who's abused or threatened them on a school run, in the pub, in the supermarket. That reality isn't being recognised by these comments that start as a snowball and end up being an avalanche. When you have an incident on TV where everyone gets in the referee's face, we see, we see a spike in people getting in touch with us. It's almost like a refocusing event where people think, oh, that happened to me or... It actually does happen the next time that I was, I was on a game. It's sort of definitely mimicked, particularly expressions they use and, and stuff like that. And w- what we find is that the hotline was definitely a big launch. Loads of papers picked up on it and in media outlets, but not one single county FA or even the FA themselves publicised that hotline. And to me, that's outrageous, absolutely outrageous. Why would a county FA or the national governing body not want to push out something so positive? Even though the outcomes are negative, we can create a positive outcome from these negatives by flashing up, A, what we're doing wrong, B, how can we do it better, and C, stop it happening in the first place. So we're very disappointed that the FA don't actually uh, publish our hotline. However, because of the social media reach we have, we're finding out social media messages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are now more than the actual hotline themselves. Receiving abuse is not just reserved for those at the elite end of the game. So I'm Joe Albra. I'm a level five senior county referee. I've been refereeing for around eight years now. Um, I've been involved with the FA's National Centre of Refereeing Excellence. Um, have refereed at um, Premier League grounds, have refereed at Premier League youth tournaments um, and... I think if you speak to most referees, they will at some stage have had an instance where they've been on the receiving end of some abuse. Fortunately for me, it's never manifested in a physical manner, um, but there have actually been, you know, there have been threats, physical threats. Um, one that sticks in my mind is I was at university up in the north of England in Sheffield. Um, I was 19 years old out on the parks of this uh of this city that I didn't really um, know too much about to start with, obviously being at the beginning of my time at university. Um, And you've just got at that level, one man against these 22 men. Um, And I sent a player off for a challenge, um, serious foul play, we'd call it. Um, And straight away, he came up to me threatening to see me in the car park afterwards, threatening to stab me, slash my tyres, not letting me go anywhere until he'd finished with me. Um, These are all, unfortunately, not uncommon instances. Um, And I know a lot of my colleagues have had physical threats and even some of them have made national headlines um, with the abuse they've received and physical altercations they've had with players. One of the things you would be conditioned for when you are training to be a ref is, you know, to not be intimidated and, like you said, having control of games, trying to have control over players. But 
I'm sure no matter how much training you can do, you're not prepared for that level of hatred and aggression. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think there there have definitely been instances where you kind of get home and it's it's a bit of a cliched example, but you do get home, you throw your bag in the corner, you kind of look to yourself, you're like, why am I doing this? You know, depending on the level you're at, whether you're earning 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever you're earning a match, it's not worth the abuse I'm getting and the effect it's going to have on my mental health in the long run. Um, I would like to think that I have a fairly strong character and I think you mentioned the term thick skin. It is something that we're told as referees we need to have. Um, doesn't excuse the abuse um, that referees face, but I certainly think if you're going to do this job, you do have to be prepared at some point to face the abuse. And I guess that's what really we should be trying to change, um, whether that's a societal problem or football's problem. Um, abuse online, in person, um, is just not really acceptable. And I think we need to be able to deal with that. Um, maybe, I was going to say as a nation, but globally, I suppose, it, it doesn't just, you know, it's not just England that has this problem. So I think there are instances where we need to come together and, and try and tackle this issue. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a fan of it if it's done properly, but the people who are making the decisions, the ultimate decisions at Stockley Park are just not very good. It really is. It's just, it's... And it's bewildering because the whole thing, VAR is a thing that should make life easier for referees. And instead of making it easier for them, it's embarrassing them. VAR is the spark of the ballooning focus on refs. How and why has something that was introduced to reduce controversy heightened it so much? Mark Halsey breaks it down for us. I think the problem we've got today is it's not only... I don't solely blame the referees. Yes, I have to say that, and it hurts me to say, I think the standard is declining year after year after year after year. Um, but with that also, you know, the, the, the change of the laws, the ha law 12 handling the ball, um, the offside law doesn't make it easy for, for referees and players and coaches and fans, which are, you know, are just as important as anybody, the fans. And I, I, I think that, you know, the introduction of VAR as well has, has, has not helped. Um, I, I, I really do believe we're not implemented it correctly in the English Premier League. You know, it's all about a clear and obvious error, um, a serious incident missed, and they're not adhering to that IFAB protocol. I'm a great believer for me that you've got, you've got the active referees. They're doing actually refereeing on the field of play, and then they're coming off the field of play to, to go to Stockley Park and, and operate VAR. 
Now, I've been a, I've been advocating for many years now that it's two different professions, being an active referee and sitting in front of that screen for, you know, for 90 plus minutes. It, 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 it's, it's hard work. It's not, it's not easy. And, and, it, and it's good to see that, you know, in the MLS in America, um, they have brought in uh, active referees, solely just referee on the field of play. And they've got retired referees doing the, the, the VAR situation. So I think, you know, because you, you become fatigued and mentally tired by, you know, refereeing a game on a Saturday and then you've got to get yourself home and to bed or you're driving straight, wherever you are, you're driving straight down to London, to Stockley Park to, to do the um, VAR. So I, I, I think, you know, our, our, our officials are most probably, you know, fatigued and, and tired because I, I think they're doing too much with all the travelling because they have to travel, they have to get themselves to the ground, get themselves to, to Stockley Park in London. So I think, you know, solely, although I, I you know, I, I look at the standard of officiating as, and it is declining, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily blame our referees because, as I said, we've got, some, we've got some good referees out there. I've had to do that trip to Stockley Park quite often and it's not a fun place to get to, quite difficult. But um, the the note you, you make there about there being a differentiation between a VAR official and one that's actually, you know, on the pitch is a huge one because having gone through the induction the VAR training and stuff at Stockley Park, having spoken to a lot of referees, they say the same thing. It's completely contrasting experience, contrasting experience needed for it. And we should actually have set VAR officials, people who are actually good at doing that. Absolutely. And it's, it, it's, it's a specialised position. That, that, you know that is a for me is a specialised position in 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 that at Stockley Park, and it's a it's it's about, and that comes from the leadership and direction of the management. It's about you know when do when do we get involved? When does VAR get involved? Now you know it's clear in the IFAB protocol, as I've said, a clear and obvious error, a clear and obvious error. Now now we saw. We saw there was a lot of controversy the other night. Sheffield United and Aston Villa, and you look at that incident, okay? And what you what you have to what you have to determine is is that a clear and obvious error made by Rob Jones? Is that a clear and obvious error made by Rob Jones? Okay. Now, in my opinion, that is not a clear and obvious error because Rob Jones has seen that he's given a yellow card. He thinks there's doubt there. There's there's not. Um, you know, is, 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 it, is it a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity? Now, in that criteria, the referee has to decide, OK? He has to decide um, on the distance between the offence and the goal, the general direction of play, the likelihood of gaining control of the ball, location and number of defenders. So in that situation, for me, I know it's subjective, so there has to be doubt. So why has VAR... I think it was Graham Scott got involved in that situation. I don't, I don't understand because for me, you know, it, it, it was doubt because of the, the distance from goal, the direction of play. So, you know, there has to be that doubt. So was that, was that a, a, an obvious denial of a goal scoring opportunity? And if you look at it, you think, well, no, perhaps it's not, you know? So, so that, that, that's the thing for me. We've got, you know, we've got to, they've got the training education on, 
when to get involved and when not to get involved. It has to be a clear and obvious error. And I think, you know, I think they're all um, confused. I think, I think they're all, to be fair to them, they're all confused. And, and as I say, that's not their fault. Do you feel that the fact, you know, we're talking about VAR, the fact that the rules or the laws of the game continuously are getting twigged for the technology isn't helping the issue either because referees, it's so hard for them to keep up now with what is a handball, a defensive handball, an offensive handball, um, you know, all the all these things that we now have thrown into the equation. Well, absolutely. Listen, let's hope that the, the IFAB, IFAB meeting today, they they this this see some clarity because um, this 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 law twelve handling the ball is an absolute farce. It really is a farce because you've got you've got one rule for attackers, one law one law for attackers, and you've got one law for defenders. As we saw in the game, you know, as we saw uh, in two in two games yesterday with the Fulham game, you know. S- Listen, his arm's in a natural position. What can he do? He can't get, he can't move his arm because the ball's coming in at pace. Not get it goal disallowed because it's an accidental handball, as as per law, as per law says. You know, and then we see the one um at uh, Liverpool Chelsea with Kante, you know, he's, he's trying to get his arms up the way, his hands his hands hit, hit the ball and no penalty. And and I, and, I, and I think what we need to do, and obviously with the disallowed goal with Chelsea as well, you know, using the the, the, the top of the arm and the armpit because was because he's pointing where to go so because you can score with that part of the arm so he, he, he's offside i mean it's, it's absolutely nonsense and we're seeing so many goals ruled out you know we need we need to they need to change this they need to change for me go back to the old handball law and and you make the whole of the arm from the shoulder down that you yeah, that that's handball that's handball. And, and and for me, if there's an accidental handball, like we saw with the Fulham game last night, okay, as long as it's not the player that directly scores, then I think it's got to be allowed. Now, if a player accidentally handles the ball and it goes in straight from that player, yes, then I can understand the, the being given handball because the consequence is what happened next. But now, when we're seeing the, goal, the likes of the Fulham goal ruled out last night, I can understand the frustration in, Stock, in Scott Parker because they're battling. They're battling to stay in the division. And it's the lawmakers, the IFAB, that have brought this in that never played the game. That's the trouble. We've got guys that stick around the table doing the, you know, deciding on on the laws of the game and what to change, what not to change. They've never played the game of football. Let's get let's get players and managers and coaches. Let's speak to them and ask what they want. Even the fans, because the fans are just as important. I asked Peter Walton about the specific contentious laws. The laws have to catch up with the technology that we've got. If you if we consider offside for an example, um, offside is, is is pretty much black and white to be honest with you. And with the uh, VAR implementation now, we can see if a toenail is offside. Well, the laws were made up and and have a the spirit of the game shrouded in that law. So is it in the spirit of the game? Is it what football expects when we disallow a goal for a toenail being offside? I wouldn't suggest that's the case. But as the law is written, it's factual and it has to be. And I think the lawmakers are now looking at how to evolve the law now that we've got technology in place during the game. Peter, you said there you're either offside or not, right? Black and white factual but the technology itself i i've been to stockley park and there's an admission that 
the technology, you know, the frame rates and stuff isn't completely accurate to make a hundred percent judgment. So when there is such fine margins, like you're saying with the toenail and, and you've spoken about the spirit of the game there, can you understand why there is so much annoyance at the moment? Totally. I, I, I can understand totally. And, and you're quite right. At the moment, you know, the, um, the law is implemented by using the technology that's available to the, the broadcasters. And you know, not to go too deep into it, um, the frames per second that the uh, technology it, it, the broadcasters can use is 50 frames per second. And if you also have 100 frames per second, you'll get even more clarity. Um, but that's what it is, and that's where the law is. And before technology was introduced, and now the law needs to look at how does technology um, become part of that law. And if we need to bring in a margin of error, the factor in that we're only looking at at 50 frames per second, then maybe so. If we need to tweak the offside law so that we bring in um, the technology aspect to it, then rightly so. And as, I, as actually today, um, uh, Friday, the, the IFAB, that is the International Football Association Board, the lawmakers, are having their annual general meeting and offsides are a discussion point in that annual general meeting today. So we should see, we may see some more clarity going forward very shortly. Peter, please talk us through the handball law. The, the, the handball law was changed actually um, with the intention of making it more palatable, making it more clear for the observer to, to, to view. And, and I would think they've gone down a long, a long way down that line. Nobody wants a handball when the ball hits their shoulder. But, as the, uh, you know, but the law did not say where the, the arm started and where the shoulder started. So, again, that was down to subjectivity. The lawmakers have said, OK, we'll listen to what people have said and we'll define what we mean by the, the arm or the hand. And therefore, they introduced the, the T-shirt ruling where the... You know, the, the ball striking above the T-shirt line wasn't handball and the, the ball striking below the T-shirt line was handball. But then you factor in another case, well, how long is your T-shirt? So, you know, this is an, an, an ever-evolving aspect. And what the lawmakers are trying to do is to make it easier for people to understand. Um, and sometimes they get it right and sometimes they don't get it quite, quite so right. Going forward, of course, um, you know, we need to look at whether or not I said the de deliberate act. We saw a game only recently where... A goal was disallowed where the ball brushed the arm of a, an attacker in the, in the move that led to the goal. Is that a deliberate attack? Well, that law was brought in purely to say that nobody in football will accept a goal being scored if the ball struck the arm. And that was a sort of a black and white situation. Maybe they'd gone too far on that. We don't know. But um, handball is such a subjective decision and so hard for people to make a consistent approach in it because everybody's um, idea of handball is slightly different. The lawmakers have that in mind and are trying to um, word it so that it actually becomes quite um, acceptable to the vast majority. We just need to get to where we were last season and it was fine. No one was talking about handballs. We never debated it on this programme. And what you've just said there, they're reviewing it. They'll review it and I can assure you they will go back to what it was last season because this is a joke, it's a mess. On Friday, IFAB announced a change to the handball law from July 1st. Accidental handball that leads to a teammate scoring a goal or having a goal-scoring opportunity 
as seen in Fulham's game with Tottenham, will no longer be considered an offence. Now, one of the big elements around VAR is whether the conversations between the referee and Stockley Park should be made available to listen to while checks are being made in-match. Look, we've gone a long way. I say we. I think the referee and the official side have got a long way to go in improving their communications. Um, We are being held accountable. We are being asked questions. We are being asked why things have been done and why things haven't been done. We don't seem to have a, a polished approach in terms of answering these questions or indeed having a platform to answer these questions. I, I do think there are some communication aspects that we need to look at. In terms of um, the referees themselves, I wouldn't, ad- I wouldn't uh, advocate um, putting a microphone on referees. Um, as I've said before, you know, a lot of the um, a- attributes of referees, the communications between the players and the players and the referees, and that's something that's in the workplace um, should be left alone and is for the referee and the player alone. However, um, with VAR being introduced, I do think there is scope for the, the fan, for the supporter, to hear the conversation between the VAR and the referee to understand why a decision has been given or not. Bear in mind, if you look at the platform for VAR, VAR should only intervene when the decision has been clear and obviously wrong or the referee has missed something. So in hindsight, when you go over to that um, monitor to have a look from the refereeing stance, you should be presented with evidence that is just clear and obvious. And therefore, that conversation that is had between the VAR and the referee should be quite simplistic and quite understanding. And I advocate that um, that we should be looking at um, uh, divulging that to to the audience. Uh, The Italian League actually last Sunday, only last Sunday, introduced um, a referee onto their local, or sorry, their national TV the day after a game to explain or to talk about his decisions. I understand that was, uh, was wildly accepted. I don't think we should go that far, but what I should, do think we should do is to introduce uh, a means of a media question or media questions aimed at the referee post-match that should be answered within a certain period post-match, be it verbally or written. Journalists want answers and news, news, news broadcasters need, need our answers. And, and I, I think the, the refereeing fraternity miss a trick in terms of giving them their opinion. And what you find is that the journalist and or the media broadcaster make up their own answer because they haven't received an answer. So I think we should be giving them an answer. And nine times out of ten, the answer wouldn't be, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. It would be something that's been subjectively looked at in, in law, but would give an answer. I do think there's scope for that. Mark provides another interesting recommendation in terms of communication. The Premier League appoints a, a match delegate to every game who, who looks at the referee's performance, they look at his fitness, they look at his management of the game, they look at his key match decision-making. And after the game, that, that, um, that person, I think it's, an, it's, an, it's normally an ex-player or an ex-manager, will go in and speak to the referee regarding his performance on, on his, his management, his key match decisions and his fitness. So... So then, obviously, the referee and the, 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 the Premier League delegate engage in, in, in the 90 minutes of what, what went on in, during the game. So, for me, if there is a big contentious decision that 
people want answers and, and, and they want to hear. I think that the delegate then should be speaking to the referee and then going and speaking to the press after the game. Say, listen, look, I've had the conversation with the referee. This is why he gave this decision. This is how he saw this incident. And also, I think another big factor as well is um, with, 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 with VAR, we need to, to hear the conversation between referee and Stockley Park. So everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. So we can hear what they're saying. We know what they're looking at. You know, they're looking at this because of such and such. And so everybody knows exactly what is going on. So I think it's vitally important that we hear the conversation between Stockton Park and, and the referee. And that will help as well. That will go a long way to helping and letting, letting the fans and everybody else understand what it, what it is, you know, how difficult it is with, with VAR and, 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 and what they're looking at and how they come to get to that decision. Like we, we hear in cricket and how we hear it in rugby as well. Players have got to come on and, and explain their decisions and so have, um, have managers. Well, well, most of them come on and are obliged to, to that contract. But they talk about the referee. They don't talk about them. So I think if referees come on and then started doing the same back to players, I just think it'd be a mess. But VAR conversations, I see no reason why they should be live, and we all should hear it. I see no, no absolutely no reason for that. I think the mics during the game could be live, but I think you know there's a lot of noise that goes on in the background anyway. If it could be managed, I think it would be beneficial. We've seen loads of communication that goes on through um, the headsets, which brings out positive outcomes. I think mistakes might, might be explained more, but there's the politics of a referee of a referee in a game. I don't think gets recognised with personalities. You know, you have some personalities now who are stronger. You have new referees doing VAR and a very experienced referee who's in the middle, and you're getting a new referee saying to a, a well-experienced referee, "Oh, you might have made a mistake there." Rightly or wrongly, there must be some psychological challenges there to cope with. But I think, I think the main framework is I, I, we as a charity would love to see Matt officials come out and, and have a chat on cameras, but not in a blame culture way. Just like they don't say to a to a, a, a you know a multi-million pound player, I can't believe you missed from six yards out. You know they don't do that. But don't do that to referees and explain these decisions. And when they get something tight right. Don't use the frame. He just about got that right. He did. It's, it's oh, he just about got that right. Not that was a really difficult decision that he just about got right. It's these sorts of like if he just about gets it wrong, they absolutely castigate them. But if they just about get it right, it's just a flipping comment. So there's lots in there that I think that we all could take ownership and and the language we use really in in how we discuss what referees do and what referees don't, particularly with advantage. And things like that, where there's a great advantage that leads to a goal, and it doesn't really get recognised. They just don't. It happens a lot in football, where there's a wonderful advantage, and and a goal scores, but it, we don't seem to pick up on it and say well done to that referee. So then, what are the major issues with the standard of refereeing at the moment, and how do things improve? Martin tackles this complex question first. The PGMOL, you look after all our professional levels right down to the National League. They, they support their, their referees wonderfully well. There's an awful lot of stuff that goes on that they don't publicise that I feel they should. They do some wonderful support. I know my team got some amazing, amazing support. And what it is, there's this sort of you know, in-between land where the FA are the governing body, but the PGMOL 
control our top flight referees. It's quite unique in the world of football. There's not many situations around the world where the national governing body doesn't control their top flight game in, in their country. So that's, an, and that's another subject altogether. But what clearly happens is that those match officials, I know lots of them, get supported wonderfully. Mike Riley gets an awful lot of bad press. But from our point of view, he, he supports the, the match officials wonderfully with the team around him. Where there is an absolute massive, massive lack of support is from the FA referees department at Wembley. If you asked you know, people who watch football who is the main controller of referees in this country, people will say Mike Riley, but it's not. It's Neil Barry and David Ellery. Very seldom do you, do you see them. I did a bit of research before I came on this block. You try to Google Neil Barry supporting referees and it, there's nothing there. Recently, they called a press conference because we said, you know, you never made a public condemnation of the abuse that my team got. And they never went out themselves, my team, um, David Eddy or Neil Barry. They sent out junior members of the referees department to the FA to face the press. Now, that in itself is outrageous. It's outrageous that these grassroots referees need a leader. They need someone to say, we are there for you. And they couldn't even tweet the FA referees account and the FA account itself did not tweet a message of support to my team or any form of condemnation of the abuse that he receives and condemns all abuse to referees in all levels of the game. That is where I believe a lot of the responsibility for what's happening needs to be aimed. Definitely not at, my, at Mike Riley and his team because they do a lot. The national governing body of this country for football is severely lacking in their support, particularly public support of mass officials at all levels. And that is a major part of the problem. That is actually very, very important to underline because like you say, if you had to ask anyone whose feet this falls at, they would say Mike Riley. Um, And I want to know from you, obviously, without mentioning any names and stuff, because this would have been done in confidentiality. Have referees said to you that they feel let down by by them? Absolutely. We have people going public with it. What happens is the FA have regulations that charges you for inappropriate behaviour on social media. So what they try to do, they try to act almost like North Korea and stop people talking to journalists, stop people going on their social media accounts. We we actually had a county of eight send a letter out saying, oh, this referee was going on the radio and uh, and he can't. And all referees should, should approach the FA before talking to the media, grassroots referees. That's the sort of North Korean attitude that is within football. Referees are genuinely, genuinely worried about their concerns openly, which is why we partnered with... Um, a company called Alethea, which is a, a, a whistleblowing app. Everything's completely anonymous. You go on it, you download the app. You can send a message to someone who are all ex-police officers investigations where all of it's anonymous. You don't know who the number is. They, we're asking to use that more because we know there's bullying that goes out there that certain people at Wembley and in county FAs put pressure on people not to go to the press. We see it often. This is one of the problems. So they won't challenge what's wrong because they might not get their cup final. They might not get their promotion. They might not get that local derby because the referees really, some really feel that if they tell their line manager, i.e. the FA or the county FA, that they're weak, 
that they don't feel strong, that they might not get those games. So having us as an independent referee charity that takes no funding off any football and stakeholder, many feel as if they trust us a bit more because we know we've been there. I worked at Wembley in the referees department for seven years. I know the politics of that department and that the politics, the people who run that department at the top, I believe need to change. They've been there for a long time. And these are the ones that bring through the referees to the top flight level. But that never gets aimed at them. It always gets aimed at Mike Riley. None of us went to the last World Cup, which is silly, really, because Mark Clattenburg would have gone if we hadn't changed jobs. So who feeds that pathway? Who, who finds the next generation? It's the FA. And they're just not doing enough. They're not protecting enough. They're not, they're not training enough. And they're not being outspoken publicly to support referees enough. There's some good people there in the FA, wonderful people. Tim Foster, who's head of grassroots, the director of grassroots, is a wonderful, wonderful progressive person at the FA who works with us. But the referees department, I feel, and the charity feels, have let down referees for a long, long time. The referees get away with you, with the English press, always, no matter what they do. It was a, it, a referee decision that influenced the game, but nobody talks about it, so that means nothing will change. Mark Halsey, who has intimate knowledge of the PGMOL, calls for a total overhaul of that body. Yeah, we have got some top, top. We have got some top referees, very good referees in the likes of uh, you know Michael Oliver is by far our best referees, no doubt about that. In my opinion, some will disagree. Then I suppose you got closely followed by the experience of of uh, Martin Atkinson, Mike Dean. Uh, Anthony Taylor, Andre Marin, and we've got a few young ones coming through as well with uh, Andy Madley, um, Peter Banks and Chris Kavanagh, which you know I believe can become good referees. But the problem, the problem we have with it as well, it's the leadership and direction that these guys are getting. And for me, they're not getting that leadership and direction and the training and the education regarding you know, their, their on-field mistakes and obviously with, with with VAR and I always use the adage that you know I've played football at a high standard before I become a referee and I have to say I, I, I think you know you look at good football coaches good football coaches turn average players into good players good players into excellent players and that is no different with referees you know we haven't got the nucleus of of some really good coaches um, to coach our guys at the top level you know we've got We've got many retired referees that are not involved in, in, in our game in, in the UK. And you have to ask the reason why haven't we got not that? You know, we've got, you know, a good friend of mine, Howard Webb, who's in America. You've got Mark Clanberg in, you know, in Greece helping their referees. Um, myself doing nothing because obviously it's about if your face fits. And obviously my face doesn't fit with, with the current regime. So yeah, yeah, that's, that happens and you have to accept that. But we're all here for the betterment of our referees. And unfortunately, that's not happening at, happening at present, Melissa. I mean, listen, at, at the professional level, obviously, it's the PGMOL. Um, but at, at, at a grassroots level, that's the FA. Now, at, at the PGMOL, you know, we've got, we've, got, we've got guys coaching referees that have never been involved in refereeing. Some of them have never refereed, just run the line. So you've got these guys coaching yeah, you've got you've got some guys that were football league referees. Um, never weren't good enough to make the Premier League, or they got on the Premier League and was removed because of their performance. So, you know, we've not got anybody that's that's at that level, an ex-referee that, that that's coaching these guys. And 
listen, I, I, I think you know if we if we had these experienced ex referees um, from the top level, I think refereeing would be in a better place today. Uh, I think if I'm if I'm being honest, we need it needs a complete the PGML needs a complete overhaul. That's that's the only way we're going to um, move refereeing forward. A change of a change of personnel. That's my honest opinion. Thing is, I've been there, seen it, done it, worn the t-shirt, so I know. Um, you know, I know, I know what happens. I know what goes on behind the scenes. You know, you know, I felt for you know, I really felt for Lee Mason at the weekend. Um, and I and I've been in that position when I've you know I've, I've missed a challenge. I missed a, I mean, you know, when when you, something goes wrong, and you're just left there on your own, you know, <laughs> and and nothing happens. And I, you know, as, as I say, um, you know, some, some I mean, referees are like players. Some need an arm around them. Some need some loving, and some need a kick up the backside. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't think they know how to show a bit of loving towards their their personnel. We have talked referees, but we've done it differently. We've listened to the impact of the horrid abuse they face, unpicked the issues VAR has given rise to, spoken about the unhelpful, ever-changing laws of the game, but all with the agreement that the standard of officiating has to improve. I hope we'll be speaking more about football itself and less about their decisions. Ultimately, I hope we remember refs are human and don't walk onto the pitch with the aim of hurting your club. Between the Lines is a Stakhanov production. Written and narrated by me, Melissa Reddy. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Our assistant producer is Natalie Wilson. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.